guys. There is this, this early follower of Jesus. His name is Paul, and he's got a brain pan like this. But what's really cool about Paul, unlike so many other people with brain pans like this, is it all kind of translates. All of these, th- th- this thinking, these discoveries, these experiences he's had with Jesus, and the way he's worked through it, it translates into something that starts to come from here. You know what I mean? Kind of like out of his gut. And this guy named Paul, he says something easy to blush by, but uh, completely outlandish. Here it is. It is the beginning of what's considered his greatest letter. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, it's outlandish because of a translational thing that I need to uh, weave with you today. When Paul says servant... What's interesting is that if you look in various other English translations, they won't actually use the word servant. They'll use a much more caustic word instead, slave. When you look at the language that that stands behind what's translated, the word that's translated here, servant, just about everywhere else it appears in Paul's writing is translated slave. So when Paul opens up his arguably greatest letter, how does he introduce himself? How does he kind of put himself forward? Hey, I'm Paul, a slave. Now, Paul wasn't a slave, right? But Paul opens his letter and says, Paul, a slave, a slave of Christ Jesus. And it's fascinating to me. Because when you think of all the ways that you would like to refer to yourself or how you would want people to think about you, why does he pick slave? When you think of all of the other ways Paul describes himself or the reality of people who find themselves in Christ, things like this, new creation. Would you rather think of yourself as a new creation or a slave? Right? How about this? Sons of God. Would you rather think of yourselves as sons of God or as slaves? Inheritors, ones who God has willed his blessings to. Would you rather think of your one who is going to inherit God's blessing or slave? Are you with me on this? Paul will call himself an ambassador. Paul, even on one occasion, will call himself and you messiahs. Okay, would you rather think of yourself as a messiah or a slave. That one might be tougher for you because it's kind of weird to think of yourself as a Messiah, isn't it? But are you catching my meaning? Of all the ways that Paul can think about himself, describe himself, and introduce himself, Paul, a slave. And it's this concept that swam up here in this brain pan out to here, but also resonated out of his gut and motivated the very nature of who he was and what he did that I want to talk to you about today. Now, you've got to situate this because slavery in Paul's world was everywhere. When you look at the ancient Roman world, the Roman world or the Roman Empire at the time of Paul, it's been estimated by some that for every free person, there could have been as many as three slaves. 
Imagine this ratio, three to one, slave to free. Now, to be fair to the stats, some others have looked at it and gone, no, no, that's a little bit rich. Maybe in certain regions, but in other areas, it seemed to be one to three. For every one slave, there was three free people. I don't care what stat you pick. Either way, when you think about the Roman Empire, that is a lot of slaves. Slavery was systemic to Paul's world. I mean, it was embedded. It was a part of the culture. It was a part of everyday life. It was a way of thinking and a way of living that was, dare I say, quote, natural to the world in which he lived. And what I'd like to do first is just maybe unpack, give a picture of of what slavery was like in Paul's day, because I think it'll help us understand some of the significance of what it means when Paul goes a slave. Now, what you have to do first is disassociate the concept of slavery that I think we carry today, you know, the early 19th century, deep south, United States, pre-Civil War, you've got to take that concept of slavery and disassociate it at least to a degree from slavery in Paul's day. First of all, in Paul's day, slavery had nothing to do with race. The Romans were equal opportunity offenders, okay? It didn't matter your nationality or race. You could be a slave. So, oh, goody for us all. Now, slaves were often acquired or you became a slave in in one of several ways. It was uncommon, but one way was um, criminals. Criminals would be often sold into slavery. One one, one notable um, way that this would happen would be with thieves, people who stole. At times, if you were convicted of stealing, you could be sentenced and punished with becoming a slave to the person or institution that you stole from. That actually might be pretty good today. I don't know. But that was one way. Another way that was common was POWs. Think of the Roman wars, the Roman epics, the, the conflicts and the battles. And oftentimes, rather than slaughter the prisoners they would be brought as slaves. If you had slave parents from any of these ways, you were born to a slave mom, a slave dad, you would be a slave. Another common way was this, unwanted children. In the ancient world, there wasn't adoption networks. There wasn't like hospital rescue. You had an unwanted child. The common way of dealing with it was this. You'd go to full term, you'd give birth. And then in the middle of the night, you'd go out to the landfill. You'd go out to the garbage heap. And you'd abandon your baby and leave him there to die. And what would happen in the ancient world is people would see this and they'd go, you know, I could use some work. I could use some help. I could use another kid. And they would come and they would scoop these abandoned kids up and they would become their slaves. But strangely enough, of all of these aspects of slavery in the ancient world, the most common way, it seems, especially in urban areas, that people would become slaves was this. You would sell yourself into slavery. I'm just going to like pause on that for a minute. Why on earth would a human being 
ever willingly become a slave? Well, try to put yourself in some of their shoes. Because maybe it would look like this. Here you are, you're out of work. And it doesn't look like it's going to change soon. Any kind of meager savings, because you were probably subsistence level, have long been dwelt away, and it's getting bad. I mean, it's getting bad beyond having to cancel cable, okay? I mean, it's getting, like, really bad. You're starting to go hungry. Your kids are starting to go hungry. Hunger is turning to malnourishment. Malnourishment is turning into medical issues. And you're watching your family die. And there is nothing you can do about it. But you look on the other side of town, or you look up on the hill, and you see those glamour estates. You know what I mean? You see those glamour estates, and, and, and you see that they have slaves. And they're fat. They're well-fed. Their hair has a sheen. They're clothed and housed and comforted. They, are, they get to live in there, a place I'll never get to live. If only I could be their slave. And it wasn't uncommon practice in the ancient Roman world for people, whether because of insurmountable debt or because of poverty or any other number of reasons, to sell themselves into slavery for a life that they deemed better by far. Now, in the ancient world, slaves would be put to work in all kinds of ways. From everything I've read, the worst was this, the mines. You did not want to go to the mines. This was a form of slavery reserved, it seemed, for the, the, the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst, backbreaking, excruciating labor in cramped quarters, cut and broken, hewing out ore and rock all the live long day. The cavens. The dangers, the rancid air, the sickness that came from breathing. And some of the accounts that I read would even talk about how slaves would literally go months on end without feeling fresh air or seeing the light of day. As a slave, you never wanted to find yourself in there. Slightly better, but only slightly, was this. Sewer cleaning. The Romans had sanitation and someone had to clean it. Or the public baths, cleaning those. That one is worse by far to me than all the rest. And then there was your agrarian slaves, the people that were working the field. But what was more common than not, especially in the urban areas, were household slaves. Now, you and I, we hear slavery, and we always think the person out in the field, right, picking cotton. But in the Roman world, and especially the Roman cities, slaves would often do things like this. They would be servants. All right, Downton Abbey season six, you digging it? All right, who's bringing the food? How are they dressed? How are they fed? Maybe you can be that kind of household slave. They would cook. They would clean. They would take care of the grounds. Parents, how about this? Permanent live-in nanny. And it wasn't uncommon to buy a slave to raise and tutor and teach your kids. 
Because what you find in the ancient world is that even though you were a slave, it didn't mean that you were ignorant, illiterate. It didn't mean that you were unskilled. Oftentimes, slaves would be employed as, as, as store clerks. Managers of entire operations, artisans in the ancient world, physicians were often slaves. And it's fascinating that there's some evidence to suggest that, that Luke, one of those early traveling companions of Paul who wrote about 25% of the New Testament, may in fact have been a slave. But despite all of this, slavery still carried a stigma. Because even if you're that kind of slave, you're still a slave. I've been thinking about this, trying to kind of find a way to illustrate what that social stigma and distinction was like. And the best I think I could come up with is this. The distinction we have today between people and their pets. Who here has a pet? And I don't count a fish because I don't do anything, all right? But, but like a real pet. All right. You can love your pet. You can value your pet. You can spend a lot of money for a pet. Certain pets, especially if you're into farming, breeding, can have a lot of intrinsic value. But at the end of the day, they're still your pet. I think of what it would be like to be a pet owner. 80 years ago, before a lot of anti-cruelty laws have taken hold, I can do with what you want. I can treat you how I want. Now, now sure enough, your neighbors would frown upon you abusing your slave just like your neighbors would look badly upon you if you kicked your dog. But can you do it? And at the end of the day, they are completely subservient to you. You are their master. They exist to do everything that you say. Welcome to the world of a slave in Paul's day. And here comes Paul, a freedman who had never claimed to be a slave. And what does Paul say? Paul. A slave. And it's not the only place. You go through Paul's writing. I mean, this isn't just some kind of like rare instance. Here's Philippians. Paul and Timothy translate the word slaves of Christ Jesus. Or here's Titus. Paul, a slave of God. Here's a similar way. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Because you can call a prisoner what you want. At some fundamental level, they're a slave. Why is it that Paul, against all social distinction, against all common sense, identifies himself as a slave? There's three things that I want to unpack on this with you today. Three ways of looking at it. First is this. Slavery means utter devotion. You know, the reality is a servant and a slave might be doing the exact same kind of work. The reality is a slave might even at times do better work. But what's the basic difference between a servant and a slave? If you're a servant, you choose. And you can quit this gig whenever you 
want, but not a slave. And for Paul, to be a follower of Jesus, translated and acquainted within him as nothing short of full devotion, full submission, full obedience, that can only be described as the relation of a master and a slave. It's why Paul would do anything. Have you, like, read this guy's biography? Have you ever kind of, like, worked through his letters going, what, what is with it? What moves this guy? It's like he will do anything, no matter the price, no matter the cost, no matter the suffering. God says, jump, I say, how high? Because for Paul... To be a follower of Jesus meant a complete allegiance and obedience. It meant to rise up and realize that he is God and we are not. And despite all the language we use for our relationship with God, father and friend, if you think about it, he is God and we are not. And the gulf between that, it's greater than a gulf between a master and a slave. If only we could rise to the level of slave of God. And for Paul, this call to obedience, to allegiance, it defined his very being. It was a second thing for Paul as well. It was discipleship. It's a churchy word that really gets kind of confused, but a disciple is really nothing more than this. A disciple is someone who wants to be who someone else is. So many times, discipleship gets reduced to some kind of like teacher and student relationship. You know, I've had a lot of teachers that I've learned a lot of things from. There are things that I want to know that my teachers know. But there are very few people in this world that I want to be. And that's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who doesn't just want to know what Jesus knows or just doesn't want to get what Jesus gives. It's someone who wants to be who Jesus is. In an even greater mind blow, what's fascinating is that Jesus himself positions himself as a slave. Did you know this? Jesus himself, God himself, the very son of God, positioned himself before his father as a slave. Paul writes about this. It's this really cool passage out of Philippians. You should memorize it sometime. Look what he says. He's speaking to you. Guys, your attitude, your whole way of thinking, it should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Do you want to be like him? Do you want to follow him and think like him? Get your attitude like him. And what was his attitude like? Well, Despite, despite the fact that he was in very nature God, Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of what? Don't read the translation. Of what? A slave. Jesus himself positioned himself as a slave of God. And being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. It's fascinating to me that in the ancient Roman world, crucifixion was a mode of execution that was highly reserved for, guess what? Slaves. And Paul's thinking when something like this. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, and Jesus himself, who is very God himself, considered himself a slave, how much should a lowly mortal like me consider himself as well? I'm curious, and you don't have to show your hands or anything, but of all the ways that you think about your relationship with God, is one of them slave? There's a third thing, though, I think, that's churning in Paul's world, that's standing behind the way he, he shouts it loud and proud, Paul, a slave. Something that transcends devotion, something that transcends obedience, something that, that, that even goes beyond being like Jesus himself. It's a realization that Paul came to, that when you are a slave of Jesus, in some ironic cosmic twist of fate, you're free. That when you are a slave of Jesus, you are actually free. I was at a Starbucks yesterday morning. I was kind of working through some of the final details of this and, and, and polishing some stuff up. And have you ever had that moment where you're going and you're focused and you're trying to get something done and, and people kind of have a radar for that and do everything in their power to get in your way? So I'm sitting here positioned at Starbucks by this fireplace. It's one of these chairs where there's nothing else around. The whole architecture says, stay away. And what happens? Some dude pulls up next to me. Hey, man, how you doing today? Good to see you. And he starts, like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? I'm here to preach the word of God to people, not to talk to someone. You know what I'm saying? You ever have these moments, right? These existential crises of going, you know what's happening before your eyes. God darn it. You know what I'm saying? And he starts sharing his life with me. The frustration he's having with some of his kids. I don't know what he walked out of, but man, it wasn't pretty. And he starts telling me about his journey. He shared with me two things that I kind of found interesting and they stuck with me. One, I've been pretty successful at most things I do. He owns a restaurant. It's doing great. He's gotten into real estate. It's doing great. Sometimes people come up to you in Starbucks and they start the conversation and your radar picks up like freak job immediately, right? Now, this wasn't the case. Well-dressed, well-mannered, polite, articulate. He starts sharing with me this and he shared something else with me as well. I've also found that I have the propensity to destroy everything in my life. He starts sharing with me his journey with prescription drugs. He starts sharing with me about some of the ways that led to his own self-destruction, how it affected his family. He starts sharing with me how it led to prison and where the journey has taken him since. It was fascinating, the language that he was using, completely unaware of who I was or what I was sitting there typing that day. Using language like against my will, I felt like I was just dragged, crick, kick, kicking and screaming. Using language like, I felt like I was forced to submit. And I've learned since that there's other powers I have to submit to instead. It was fascinating to me that without using the actual word, how he was painting a picture of slavery. Because for Paul, at some fundamental existential 
level, freedom and autonomy is an illusion. For Paul, at some fundamental level, all of us are slaves of something. And the question really isn't, do you want to be a slave? It's, what do you want to be a slave of? He writes this, don't you know Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you're slaves of the one who obey? Don't you know when you're victimized by by those who who, who pressure you and push you and lead you and do all that, that, that you're like a slave? Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to the things that are contrary to God, to sin, you're a slave to it, and that it leads to death? Don't you know that when you offer yourselves as slaves of obedience to God, it leads to righteousness. I love how he wraps this thought up. But now you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Because it's not a question, guys, of whether you want to be a slave. The existential question is, what are you a slave of And it's a question I think we all have to face. As uncomfortable as as the proposition might be, who do I want to be a slave of? Of sin or of God? They're really the only two choices out there. And for Paul to be a slave of Christ became everything. Because what Paul discovered is that when you're a slave of Christ, you're free, that you could be a slave in the ancient Roman world, a mind slave who is ripped from his family with no hope of escape. But when you are in Christ, you are freer than the freest person, even Caesar himself in Rome. When you are a slave of Christ, that is where you become free, free of that which seeks to ensnare you, that which seeks to bind you, that which seeks to drag you and manipulate you and drag you down free from sin, slave of Christ. For Paul, it meant everything. And the great irony of the Bible is that when God captures you as his slave, he treats you as one who is free. It's embedded in this Christian word called redeem. You've you've heard this thrown around in churches before, right? And we all kind of say it like we know what it means. Do you realize it's a slave term? In the ancient Roman world, to redeem was to buy a slave. To free them from whatever situation they were in, to buy that slave and claim them for themselves. And that's exactly what Jesus does for you. By the cost and price of his death for you, by his blood, he has done nothing short of bought you. God owns you. And God loves his property and does not let it go lightly. A slave of God, and when you are a slave of God, you are free. I love what Jesus says. He twists it on his head. He says, I no longer call you, translate, slaves, Because a slave does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. What slave owner has ever done that? I love what Jesus says. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I love how Paul ironically twists this on his head. Just after talking about slavery, he says, you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave 
again to fear, to sin. No, because you receive the spirit of sonship and the one who owns you invites you to call him this, Abba. Aramaic for daddy, father. Because the irony of this world is that when you are owned by God, you are free. And for Paul, there was no no higher honor, no higher honor than to be a slave of Jesus. I am Paul. I am a slave. Loud and proud, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And you can be too. It meant everything, shaped everything, defined everything. In an obedience and allegiance to Christ, it is what he's gave his life to. Inviting people like me and you into what he discovered. This beautiful, wonderful, amazing freeing relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ a life of a slave